Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer. I am returned. I am refreshed. You, and sa- I'm, you sound refreshed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I am joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. We're here to discuss everything that's happened in the month of February, everything that I missed, uh, everything that, you know, has been going on. There's a lot of different ways that we can go. Nebraska has a new special teams analyst. Nebraska is ranked 22nd in the FPI for next year. Darian Chase entered the transfer portal, first departure from the 2019 class. Banter, what, what do we want to start with first? Brunts, you look like you're itching to go. Well, we hit on Chase last week, right? Did we? It was Friday night when it happened. I don't know when you had your podcast. Did we talk about Chase? I don't know. Did we see into the future? I don't know. It hadn't happened yet, mate. I don't know. It all runs together. It's yeah. been Brunson and I have just been freaking grinding. Yeah. <laughs> it's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you guys have the same vacation. Our banter time last week was about the Golden Girls, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's three minutes of Golden Girls yeah. right out of the shoe. About why? The, about the theme song. It was in my head. Because oh. we were unsupervised. That's yeah, why. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't I, have any. I don't think I count as supervision in this group. Well, you let the olds loose on the podcast, and that's what happens. <laughs> and it wasn't about wings. No, no wings talk. Or cheers, golden, golden girls. I, cheers at a great theme song. So I have to admit, I've been like very tempted to start Cheers episode one. I've never watched the show. Oh, cheers is great. I know you guys like it, but I feel like it's a giant commitment, and I don't know if I want to. You're that might be like a summer thing. I, I've watched all the episodes. I did that a couple of years ago. Does it travel to our current day? Well, it's uh it's hard to see Ted Danson as a womanizer and like, like it's especially after seeing curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. That kind of, I, I don't, it's fine. Like the thing that's weird is that like Norm and Cliff, like when the show was being filmed, they're like, they were like our age. Really? Yeah. Man. And you think of, you like think of Cliff as like always being like perpetually 50, but he was like in his late thirties. That sucks to think about. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Anyways. I used to watch Cheers every night at 1035 because it was played right after the news. And that was the... Sh- my- you were watching the news every night? Uh, I would watch the sports. And then uh, my parent, my dad would let me stay up and watch uh, Cheers okay. at 11. So you had, to, you had to get through the news to get to Cheers. Yeah, that was the payoff. Who, right. what, what station was that in Omaha? Who was your news of choice? I think Cheers at the time, someone will probably correct me. I believe it was on the CBS affiliate um, back then, like when it came on after the news. But I'm not positive of that. Who was the sports director back then? I was oh, wondering if man. you were like like an I Challenge Greg guy. Like, uh, was it Greg Peterson? Was that his name? No, I'm old enough, though, that one time I was at a UNO Mavericks basketball game and John Nicely used to be a sportscaster. You know, and he right. he did he, he kind of started those I challenge John things, and it was like a pie eating thing or something at the halftime of a Mavs game, and he took off his tie and he needed a young lad to hold his tie, so I held John Nicely's tie. <laughs> well, he was well, he was in a pie eating race. Did he win? I don't recall what happened. I might have got like my hand like in the newscast because I remember excitedly like watching it to see if I had, you know, made the news. After he was done, did he like put the tie right back on? Uh, I I believe so. Yeah, hmm. uh, I just remember holding his tie. It was like training though, because I was kind of you probably could see my arm like in the shot holding his tie, 
And it's sort of like now on the news when we're just sitting there looking the other way where your arm is out with your tape recorder. So it was, I didn't know, but I was practicing for the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think we were going to get to pie-eating contests and a young Brian Christofferson holding ties. John uh, Nicely's tied to yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good That's a good, name that's good banter, that, that, yeah. That, um, did you used to go to UNO basketball games where they play on like that at the old field house? The Sap field house? Yeah, and like it was kind of like a rubber court. I mm-hmm. don't even know what kind of material that was. There'd be like people running like around the track <laughs> during the game. Like it was. See, a field house, yeah, yeah, because they would have the indoor track there. I mean, I've been. Yeah. a bunch of places when you're like, like 11 though and you love sports that way it was like kind of perfect because you could be like in the th- third row you know watching yeah. it it was kind of fun could you think of any player that you watched on those uno mavs teams <laughs> no no I, re- I i do remember uh you, you probably went to omaha racers games oh yeah mm-hmm. the it's quarter scoring yeah the quarter scoring is great cedric connor mm-hmm. um, tim legler i remember what the year they won the cba championship and mm-hmm. they were in the playoffs and i went to a playoff game and like all of omaha was behind it like <laughs> people were pretty fired up for their series of like the quad city force or whoever it was uh, sioux falls sky force i'm sorry I, I think that wasn't that the name of the team yeah one of them the racers had a great logo they did they did the the, that, that, that was back pink. when xarvin was really hopping it, like yeah. and you'd get like sold out crowds for omaha lancers games like it was a the heat is on. What a time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys didn't even need me last week. No. You needed me to get you to an old topic and then just let you. We, we just talked about old guy stuff. It started with cheers, and we ended up with the uh, the hopping exarbon early 1990s. Get Brunson and I to 1988 on any subject yeah. and let us go. What, wasn't Kevin Kugler? He was the play-by-play guy for the racers, right? I did not know that. I think he was. Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Look at this. Well, I, I don't even have anything anyways, to add. You, like, can go, you can go from CBI to FPI. <laughs> CBA to FPI. It doesn't quite work as well. <laughs> CBI is where Nebraska basketball would hope to get to, but they won't. Uh, yeah, so let's, let's start with the FPI, then we'll get into... Did you say FBI? <laughs> FPI. Oh, sorry. Um, I mean, no, I don't, I don't think they're listening in. I'm not it's, sure why anybody It's been dissected be. around. They, they probably turned it off when we got to the Omaha Racers talk. Those rankings have been dissected the last week around here, like FBI, though, you'd have to say. But we'll <laughs> do some more on it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I all I saw is that they came in at, at number 22 um, on the strength of having a lot of returning production. Well, the let's keep in mind the there is the SP+, Plus, which is the Bill Connolly thing, which had Nebraska 22nd. FPI had him 25th. Oh, oh okay. my bad. Okay. So let's both work for the same entity. Yes. With different. Which has acronyms. its own acronym. Yes. ESPN's FPI and SP Plus brought to you by BC. Yes. Which doesn't stand for Brian Christofferson, but instead Bill Conley. Yes. So, yeah, continue. Sorry. Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, take it from me and run because I don't have anything else to add. So we'll start with SP Plus because that's. That's the one that kind of is pretty clear how they got to where they got to. So they put a lot on returning production. Yeah. Nebraska returns. Everybody. Everybody on offense. Uh, I think they were, what, number two uh, in the country for most returning production on offense. Yeah. Um, So that's how you end up with Nebraska where they were uh, there. Do you buy Nebraska as a 
I mean, it's not a poll, so it's not like they're the number 22 team in the country or anything, but were you surprised, I guess, is a question. No, not that on a data-driven thing like that, that values returning stuff. It makes sense that they would be there, actually, to me. I mean, I guess the thing I like about – I don't think any of us are numbers crunchers to a ridiculous degree with stuff. Like, we appreciate a good stat – Yes. But I don't think we probably take it 10 levels like some do. And I, I respect those who do get into it. And Bill Connolly, I'll give him this. I mean, he's he's kind of worked his way up in his career uh, to ESPN by having a pretty good model that is pretty accurate. And kind of nailed Nebraska the last couple of years. Yeah, he was right when he was down on Nebraska more last year when everybody was up on him. Um, and you – it's takes the emotion out of it. You got to say that like usually when people want to argue about preseason stuff, it's all based off your feelings and all this stuff. And, uh, this is just like, this is what my calculator popped out. Here you go. I don't, you know, those are just the facts from my uh, numbers. So I don't, I don't read too much into it though, because I think those who watch Nebraska closely, while they know everybody returns, they know of the inconsistencies, the lack of depth at wide receiver that still needs to be solved. The fact that even though the entire O-line is back, you wonder if, like, two spots could shift, you know, this offseason. So those who watch it will look at that and be like, yeah, everybody's back. But just because everyone's back doesn't always mean that's good if you weren't good last year. Everybody's back from a 5-7 and seven team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's – yeah. I mean, it, there's still so many questions. And, you know, just the, the raw data, it's, I mean, it's a starting point for – you know, if you can develop guys on offense, especially, I mean, you, you could maybe have something there. I mean, you, you get Adrian Martinez, you know, bouncing back a little bit, and you get a bonus for, you know, having a returning quarterback, um, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, there's still a lot of questions left. Uh, a lot of depth questions just about mm-hmm. their skill position guys in general. I mean, if you sit and you count out the numbers – and you list Wandale Robinson as a wide receiver. Nebraska has six wide receivers on scholarship this spring. Six. Yeah. Like, that's crazy low. They This spring for running backs, they have three? They have more than they did last spring. Three scholarship guys? I mean, Brody Belt was getting all the carries in spring. Well, yeah, year. and I guess Maurice Washington's involvement was sort of up in the air. Yeah. Um but you would have had Jalen Bradley, Maurice Washington, who else? Is that it? Well, Mills wasn't here yet. Wandale was spending split time. Yep, and he wasn't really participating that yeah. much either. It was meager, and it was also in the secondary it was last year too. Yeah. And um, that's very opposite this year. Yeah, that's good. Um, the unfortunate part to me is that you don't have – those true freshmen or the Manning type wide receivers here yet where you can have that collision course between Mm -hmm. the DBs and the wide receivers. Um, But when it comes to the FPI stuff for one last thought, it's funny. I think this is going to be the theme of the off season, all the pushback that's coming from the Nebraska fan base about anything that's positive, which I don't, I understand it completely. Um, but it's an interesting kind of turnaround from how it usually is where people, if, if you say like, oh, this looks good or this could be good, 
people are like, yeah, well, we'll see, won't we, buddy? You know, there's, there's, that's going around everywhere. But then if you were to pick somebody else in the division to win the division, you become persona non grata. In a lot what of are you ways. looking at me for? Well, I mean, you you took Iowa. <laughs> I did. And there was a lot of anger about it. I did. I took Minnesota, and I was mocked. Mm-hmm. BC probably took. I don't know. Pick I, Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know if I did because I think I was like everybody else who got fooled by their schedule and made too big a deal about it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I picked Nebraska though. I picked Iowa. Yeah. Did you? Yep. Yeah. But the other one that came out this week, FPI, which is, I guess, you know, what's the difference? They they, it's not returning production. It's based. It's somewhat based on starters. You get a bonus for having the same head coach. Yeah, it, the problem I have with some of these analytics is that they're based on information in a very odd way, like. College football schedules and college football rosters have more turnover than if you're using analytics to determine a baseball roster or, you know, an MLB roster or an NBA roster or a a NFL one. And then the quality disparity of what numbers look like on how your schedule is played out. If you had a very bad schedule and your numbers look like this, it's just – I have a tough time accepting all of these things as much more than just something to look at in the off season. And so I don't put a lot of stock in, in the FBI. The one I do like the, the Bill Conley SP plus one more, but the FBI generally has about five or six teams that completely under or overperform like to an extreme, because I, I just think it's so hard with college football rosters and the changeover that you have to, to try to be able to navigate that in the same way when the statistics that you're inputting in a professional sport are going against more like talented rosters. I, I don't know if I explained, Mike. Yeah, well, it, the FBI thing, so they, they value returning starters, which we've hit on that Nebraska has tons back on offense. You get a bump for returning quarterback, right. which they have. It factors in recruiting, and, and Nebraska, on paper, um, has recruited very strong the last two, three years. Um, they return their head coach, so you get another little bit, little bit of a bump there. But the everything and how they value. Do they use a composite recruiting rankings, or do they use their own service? Uh, they they actually use everybody's. Really? Yeah. I was curious on. That. Yeah. No, I I wondered that too. Um, so everything kind of leads back in that conversation though to development i mean you have to get better on offense with the guys you have coming back adrian martinez even though he's a returning starter has to be significantly better um than he was last year and and probably better than freshman year adrian martinez if he can be um you know you, you have to develop those recruiting classes that you've brought in especially that uh 2019 class which mm-hmm. is going to be really important this year and, you know, you, you I, I think as a head coach and, and as a coaching staff, you kind of have to, to come along as a group too. So, I mean, that's – it's a starting point, but there's still so much to be said for, for kind of what this is going to look like this season. In a big-picture sense, if I were to simplify this season, success or no success, the 2019 class, what we're saying about those guys looking at them, going through each guy, where are they – 
where do they fit going into 2021? That to me is going to be the biggest. That's a huge big picture question because the the depth when I've you know I've been going through these recruiting classes and I mean it's just amazing how some of them I got shattered. Um, 17 and 18 and 2016 only has nine guys left from it still. So 2019 has got to be that class where at the end of this year, you feel like you've got a dozen or more guys who are primed for, to really, they did something or they're really about to do something and you feel good about it from stuff you saw on the field. You've been going through those. What have kind of been your taking takeaways from, from some of, the hits, misses. I mean, what, what, what are some themes, I guess, that you well, picked up on? The, the 2017 class just got obliterated, but there's that linebacker. There were back-to-back classes, and I'll, I'll forget some of the names, but where you basically at linebacker had Pernell Jefferson, Quayshawn Alexander, Andrew Ward, Willie Hampton. Guy Thomas. Guy Thomas. Um, Avery Roberts. Yes, and Avery Roberts is the one guy you'd say, actually, he went to Oregon State and played an okay season last year. But everybody else, it just – and Guy Thomas is a guy who, you know, Nebraska had to fight to the final bell to get him down there with a lot of other circumstances. And it was exciting when he got here, and you're like, man, look at that guy. And just nothing. I mean, nothing happens. That doesn't mean maybe he can't do it. He's at Colorado now, I I guess. I think so. But, you know, maybe he gets it going and good for him. Uh, but all those guys who you thought on paper kind of fit, um, just gone with no no production either. That's the, th- that, that's the thing. It, it, it was a deal where it's one thing if you're not a stud. But if you have two or classes in a row where you have position groups where you're not even affecting your two deep, really, it's just like, you're basically on NCAA sanctions almost in a way. Like when you think of this, a couple of those classes, and I'm not just saying it's – there was coaching turnover, and that's going to happen. I well, mean, you they, switch from a 4-3 yeah. to a 3-4 I mean, in that, the middle so I'm, of a I'm not saying that every guy that Riley's right. staff recruited was a bum or that they missed. It, it's just that's what happens when you have this turnover and it keeps happening. And it, But, boy, there's a lot of holes. Yeah, wide receivers the same way. I mean, when you really kind of dig into what's happened at that position over the last three, four recruiting classes, I mean, there's no surprise that you have six guys, six scholarship guys on campus right now. I would, at some point, it would be fascinating to plug in the production of every receiver that isn't J.D. Spielman or Stanley Morgan from the 2015 and beyond classes, and see if you could even reach the equivalent of one year, the worst year of say JD Spielman, because I don't think that you would. Because I, I think kind of, I would have the most amount of catches and yards. And then you'd have from there, you know, Mike Williams, 12 catches. Yeah. Recently I was trying to think on some of those Riley teams who would have, uh... well, but I'm talking the classes. Oh, yeah. Because uh-huh. Stanley Morgan was part of that 2015 class. You know, that also included LeVan Alston. You didn't get anything there. You, in 2016, J.D. Spillman. And Grimm. Darian Grimm. You didn't get anything from Darian Grimm. 2017, J.B. McQuitty, who might have one catch in his career. Um, Keyshawn Johnson, who left the team. Lindsey. Uh, what was up? No. Tyjon Lindsey. Was he 17? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So it just immediately you can see where these I mean you can you can easily draw a line to the weakest points on Nebraska's roster to turnover from the twenty thirteen beyond period. Yeah. Because the receivers that were next in line behind the likes of Brandon Riley and Alonzo Moore and Jordan Westerkamp were Jariah Tolbert, Glenn Irons, uh you know, Kevin Gladney would have been expected to be in there at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just outside of hitting on Alonzo Moore and Jordan Westerkamp, basically Nebraska's had success with four total scholarship wide receivers in a decade. But that's horrible. Yeah. But it explains why you get into these situations where they're sitting on pins and needles about what Omar Manning's grades are going to be this spring. Because he's that important to the makeup of their roster right now. Yeah. 16 and 17 wide receivers are killer, too. I mean, just Grimm gets here, has a good spring. Mm-hmm. He's gone before yep. the first game. Keyshawn Jr. has all the hype, gone before first game. Um, well, Andre Hunt would have started probably yeah. right. in his, with his situation. And, um, you know, it's a theme. They've got a bad away because you know Darian Chase it sounds like there's I, I wish him the best because it sounds like there are other factors and why he's leaving but you know that's that's another guy now you're down yep. to 10 scholarship guys at a position you are already a little thin at um, so it's been it's just been a big a big problem and uh, yeah it explains a lot when you look at those recruiting classes I always felt like we were I was, I know I was guilty of it. I wrote a lot of headlines about this guy and that guy with wide receivers, you know, back in the day. Oh, look, they're in on this guy. Mm-hmm. And there were like these Des Fitzpatrick stories and these Jameer Calvins. And at the end of the day, the substance just wasn't there. It was yeah. all, you know, smoke and mirrors. Which it's unfortunate because some of these guys, I mean, Des Fitzpatrick's had an okay career at Louisville. Jameer Calvin's had a nice career at Washington State. Uh, the kid out of Vanderbilt, Kalijah Lipscomb, will get drafted this year. Somebody that they might have taken if they hadn't thought they were getting Fitzpatrick. Uh, it's just all of that stuff. They've just been on the wrong side of a coin flip in a lot of ways. Yeah. But that's that's recruiting. That's development. That's building the roster. Yeah. But then you get a guy like Travis Fisher who comes along, and his DB numbers weren't great when he got here. Um, and there were fail. You look at that. There were fails along the way. Dante Williams went for the gold, and he got like an Elijah Blades type, but it wasn't going to work out here. Well, and it's tough because that 2017 class, I mean, you had um, Cam Cameron Brown and Joshua Moore were expected to yeah. help you as wide receivers. Or, excuse me, 2018 class. And then defensive backs. I mean, you're talking Brandon Radley-Hiles at one point in time. Uh Christian Tut was a silent commit or expected to commit. Chase Williams, yeah, that class Mario was Goodrich. With guys who were committed. I mean, it's, it wasn't like they weren't in on the talent. Uh, they just never either got a chance to develop it or the guys they were counting on didn't become anything. Ty John Lindsay, yeah. So it's just been it's been rough for Nebraska with wide receivers, especially. But it's been that way for a decade. Look, that's always kind of the thing that these the stuff never just pops up in like a one or two year blip. Nebraska's pass rushing issues go all the way back to 2010. I mean, they haven't developed pass rushers 
regardless of which staff was here. They haven't found and developed them. They haven't locked into a four or five star. I mean, it's been a bunch of different things, but it happens over a period of time. It doesn't just happen overnight. The 2017 class has two guys left who committed as defend were defensive guys, DeAndre and unless I'm getting the class. Colin right. Miller was he? Tw- no, he no. was 2016. Uh, DeAndre Thomas and uh, Damian Daniels. Okay. Um, Chris Walker is now on defense, but uh, that's yeah, that's it. Because that was a class that had Blades, Andrew Ward. Willie Hampton, Guy Thomas, um, Avery Roberts. That I mean, that class looks good though on signing day. Like there's I, that that's the thing. That's where you know you just got to develop and keep guys. Yeah. Should we take a break on that positive note? Yeah, we can uh, we can take a break. When we come back, we'll get into some ranking changes on 24-7 sports with the top 247. We'll uh, discuss Nebraska's new special teams analyst. And Brunts will get us into Nebraska baseball where they had a 1-2 and two start that felt good at times uh, and also kind of felt like they gave a game or two away. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back from that wonderful break. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. All right, do you want to start with Rutledge before we get into recruiting? Sure. What do we know about Nebraska's newest special teams analyst? Well, he uh, SEC background, uh, Auburn for two years. Prior to that, Missouri for two years. Um, He wasn't Auburn's by title their head special teams guy the last two years that's important to know although i would caution people to form big opinions on that because sometimes those guys behind the scenes as we know do every bit as much of work and have shoulder a lot of responsibility this is one of those hires where i think you have to just put some trust that you know scott frost understands the significance of who he's bringing in here they're paying him one hundred fifty thousand dollars for an analyst position that's pretty good good money for that that role uh so you got to trust that they did their due diligence and you know what's your philosophy on this and that and, and worked it all out um they were really good at auburn and in, in the return game they had some coverage numbers last year that weren't great um like covering punts but they had a great punter um he's been pretty good with some punters and and you could say that's just because they were good punters uh but he's connected to those guys and and they've done well and uh one of the years in auburn i think it was two seasons ago they blocked like seven kicks and uh four of them were punt blocks so there's an aggressive nature that kind of shows through the numbers so it's it's like any hire like this where people do a google search and okay there's the numbers and you form some opinion with that i mean you, you don't that's why the interview with th- those guys have behind closed doors is all that really matters yep well, it's personnel too, right? I mean, like as much as you want to find the right guy to kind of organize everything, I mean, you, 
you still need to find a kicker that can get it through the end zone. Yep. You still need more continuity in your coverage units. I think that helps. Um, you know, find. You know, when you have a when you have a Sam Fultz punting for you, you you look pretty good as a coach. Or if you have a you know a, a Brett Maher kicking field goals for you, it makes your job a lot easier. So I, I mean, as much as it is you know, getting the, the organizational part of things and the coaching correct. I think you, you have to kind of just improve your personnel at, at some of those spots too. I mean, you, you can't have another year of you know, six kickers. I mean, it's just not – it's not sustainable. If they had one good leg last year, place kicker and kickoffs, we wouldn't be having any of these discussions. If you actually look inside the – I know the return game wasn't dynamite and they – they didn't bust a lot of stuff there. If you actually go look at college football stats with punt returns, a lot of people – Mike Riley was right on this. He used to say, like, that it's diminishing, like, what's getting done mm-hmm. with in the punt return game, and it's very true. I know everybody around here is kind of captivated by the season DeMornay Pearsonell had that one year, but that is very much an outlier of college football statistics if you go look at, like, total punt return yards for a season i mean it's shocking like there's sometimes there's i i'd rather get the number right but it's the people have like over 200 yards sometimes in return yards for the season it's not that many yeah i i mean i think you're absolutely correct in that regard i think brunts is correct in in saying that uh having a guy that can put it through the back of the end zone would certainly have helped out nebraska's field position issues that they ran into last year and uh, the numbers don't look horrible when you look at what the the net return yards that they allowed, um, but when you think about the fact that a lot of times those guys were catching the ball on the ten yard line, yes, mm-hmm. and so then they're starting at the thirty four and not the twenty four. Like that's a a pretty big sizable difference in the way that the field flips on you, and so then it makes it harder when you're on offense, even if you get a stop, because you have to drive further to score. And even harder for Nebraska's offense because you don't get a field goal just because you get inside the 20-yard line. Right. So it all adds up, and uh, special teams will certainly be an area of emphasis. This is minutia, but there were 18 teams in college football who had at least 250 punt yards, and only 18. Auburn was one of them. Auburn had 308 punt return yards and averaged – 12.83 with that so they did they did get a lot done there and that that'll be exciting to people i think that the, the hope that you can at least once in a while bust off that return like iowa or wisconsin had against nebraska that completely flips a game like yeah did. i i think what's hard with the special teams discussion though is that some of the anger from the fan base just extends to inexplicably dumb decisions mm-hmm. that sometimes as a coach like you can't you know, I mean, you can you can tell them everything they need to do, but when a guy decides that with four seconds left or whatever, he's just going to catch and try to run on a kickoff return instead of you know at least giving you a a touchback and starting at the twenty five and gets blasted at the eighteen. Yep. There's not, I mean, there's only so much you can do as a coach. So I I think that uh, Fair fans would be punts on the two. Yeah, geez, yeah. so bad the. The Vikings were notorious for that, too, yeah. with your boy, Cheryl's. Mm. <laughs> Look at Brunt's over there. <laughs> he, he gets All right. I just zoned <laughs> out. Let's shift this over to uh, recruiting for a little bit here, and then we'll finish up with some baseball. Thomas Fedoni, 
borderline five-star player, Terrence Lewis, borderline five-star player. Both of these guys have talked a lot about Nebraska since the calendar flipped to the 2021 cycle. Fedoni's been here several times. I continue to feel very good about where Nebraska sits with him. Terrence Lewis is really interesting to me because I feel like we've been here with Nebraska before where it's a guy from way out of the market that talks a lot about a program because he's had teammates that go there and it hasn't manifested in the follow-up subsequent year. So I regard pretty much everything Terrence Lewis with a heavy dose of skepticism. Am I being over the top with that? Well, he mentions Nebraska in every interview, Um, which is good, which is there's that. Um, somewhat specific dates are being discussed like we've narrowed down to a month so it sounds like april is probably when it's gonna happen if it's gonna happen for a visit um and, and you know it, it's travis fisher's involved uh, right which i think helps for sure um we'll see if he shows up i mean maybe he's an early official visitor yeah um but yeah i mean it, it's I, it seems like every year there's at least a guy or two that's like a high four star that's intrigued by the idea of Nebraska who y- you don't see him show up. Or yeah. if he does, it's, do, it's, it's just it's, yeah. Yeah, very late. Well, or it's like, uh, you know. Are you suggesting that this is a Micah Parsons situation? No. Micah Parsons, depending on who you want to believe, there was a maybe about a 10-day stretch where Nebraska was the favorite to get Micah Parsons because the relationship with James Franklin and the Parsons family was very bad, and Ohio State had passed, uh, which just sounds ridiculous when we talk about how good Micah Parsons is. It was a project. That, that Larry Johnson Sr. can be like, yeah, we're good. Mm-hmm. We don't need him. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there was there was real momentum there. And then the visit happened. Nebraska lost by $2 million, and all the stories came out from behind the scenes of, of that visit. And it'll be legendary for as long as I cover recruiting. But um, I get more of a vibe of, have I not told you some of these? You gave me a weird look. No, that, that, um, that wasn't my reason for the look. Okay. I get more of like an Owen Popo vibe. Oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good um, one. Even a little bit like Jackson Bratton, who ultimately visited Nebraska, and it seemed like there was a little bit of momentum there, but it just never never really manifested itself in where I felt like there's a greater than you know 25% chance that this is going to happen. That whole thing was, was kind of hinging on the fact that somehow Alabama would recruit over him, correct? Right. And that never happened. Right. Well, it turns out he's pretty good. Yeah, he's a decent football player. <laughs> and so when Terrence Lewis, who has Miami and Florida and all of these places, and he's already been committed to Florida once, he's uh, really likes Florida. I just I have a tough time seeing how Nebraska wins out on this. It doesn't mean that they can't, but it just strikes me as one of those things where I think he's going to be a guy we talk a lot about that doesn't necessarily even take an official visit. Well, so that's, that's my very that, depressing start that's a, to this. That's a downer. What else, what else did we learn from the re- rankings re-rating? Uh, well, I mean, Thomas Fedone is regarded as one of the top players in the country. And if you listen to our analysts when they talked about how he played down at the All-American Bowl Combine, that doesn't come as a big surprise. I think they fell in love with his athleticism and what he can do. Uh, I wrote this on the site today, but I had some conversations before I left on my trip 
where it was discussed to me that once Nebraska got on board with Thomas Fedoni, Scott Frost was like all like he's shot up to the number one spot on their board. Like it, it went from really, really like this guy to film comes out during junior year to this guy, we have to get him. And so Nebraska will go very, very hard to make sure that this happens. And I think they're in a really good spot. Uh, other guys that were on there, I thought it was really interesting. Derek Wilkins and someone that Nebraska had out here for a visit is now in the, the top two, four, seven. You're, you're smirking a little bit. Yeah. I, I, have a really hard time imagining him not playing in the Pac-12. Um, yeah. You know, he visited Nebraska. Is that because he has the 11 of 12 offers yeah. in the Pac-12? Yeah. And, and he's and originally from the the way he's talked about Nebraska. He was very impressed by the visit uh, when I talked to him afterwards um, in subsequent interviews. He got a Stanford offer, which I think is going to be huge for him. Um, and, and it just uh, – strikes me as a guy that based on visits and offers is, is not going to play out of the conference of champions. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a nice, my favorite Bill thing, Walton reference. Though. Yeah. My favorite thing about yesterday was Thomas Fedone. He's getting all these, he's like getting offers from Alabama, Notre Dame, Nebraska, and then Florida Atlantic slips an offer in there. I love that. I love a coach from Florida Atlantic, like th- thinking about them, like in their board. It's a like, tagger, right? Yeah, should yeah. we should we offer this kid in Council Bluffs? <laughs> they offered another kid of uh, of similar vein, and it it was after you had already made that post on our board. Yeah, and it was cracking me up. That's shooting your shot, folks. Yeah. You got to respect that. Um, <laughs> T.J. Bowlers, uh, Travion Ford, both moved down a little bit. Uh, I wrote about this on the site too. Those guys are really interesting, and Nebraska would absolutely take either of them. I do think it's important to note that they're not necessarily players that you're just going to be able to plug and play in a 3-4 defense and they're going to result in immediate pass rushing capability. Because one guy ran a 5-2 or a 5.0240, the other one's a 4-9. So they're not, I mean, they're not lightning fast, but they're they're very productive players. They're doing it from the defensive end position, which is what makes the 3-4 so hard because you have to project guys that can play a position they've never played before. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's where TJ Bowlers and, and Travion Ford are really interesting to me. Avante Dickerson still in the the top 60. Uh, Randolph Kapai is in the top 100. Um, I don't expect those guys move out of those numbers uh, throughout the rest of the kind of the rankings unless something goes really bad. And I like where Nebraska sits. Obviously, Kapai, they have the commitment. But I like where they're at with Dickerson. Okay. Baseball? Let's talk baseball. What do you want to they talk went about? one and two. They sent 17 guys to the plate in the first inning. Um, made it all the way through the order w- without recording an out uh, the first time through. And uh, was a 45-minute top of the first, I think. Um, so, not a bad start. Was yeah. it the best start to the season that you could remember covering? Yeah. I, I was going back... Um, yeah, I mean, by far. And and part of that is because Nebraska scheduled, like, Oregon State um, early on a lot of times. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they showed up ready to hit. Um, they came back on Saturday, uh, gave the ball to their closer with the lead, uh, ended up losing in extra innings, which that one's a little bit uh, – will be tough, I think, for them to swallow a little bit over there. But uh, And then Sunday just kind of got away from them a little bit played well enough to to go two and one in the series and and that's 
kind of what you want this time of year. And, and it's, I, I have to say, the the way that the start of the season is being discussed over there, there's a little bit more of a change in tone with this coaching staff because when Will Bolt was hired, if you want to you want to host regionals, you want to be in that conversation you have to win these early season series against teams that are probably going to be uh, towards the top of these mm-hmm. uh, power conferences. So um, Saturday will feel like a missed opportunity for this group, I think. And you, you go to San Diego this weekend with uh, San Diego State, University of San Diego, and, and Arizona, and you, you got you to gotta play pretty well, and, and you got to pitch better. Colby Gomez is going to get the start again on Saturday after a pretty disastrous uh, first start. So uh, there's a lot of room for improvement, I think, coming off that first weekend. But I was impressed with the way that they, they hit and kind of approached things at the plate. How good is Baylor supposed to be? They were picked uh, middle of the Big 12, okay. but they've got – they're a really veteran team. Uh, they have the pre- – they preseason uh, Big 12 player of the year, Nick Lofton, uh, their shortstop. So, I, I mean, they've got a chance, I think, to, to play better than that. Um, I mean, I, I think Nebraska will, will, like I said, I think they're going to kick themselves because yeah. you, you should have come out of that 2-1. and one. Yeah. Aaron Polinski strikes me as someone that could be in line for pretty nice seasons, already off to a fast start, was a guy who played well last year. I always felt like one of the things with Nebraska baseball is you never got, like, upward progression with some of these guys it felt pretty linear at times or in the case of angelo altavilla really went down yeah um so i'll be curious with polinski if he can provide that middle of the order bat for him i mean that would go a long way he hit really well towards the end of the season last year um i think he's got more power than probably what he gets credit for he hit a piss rocket if i recall correctly he hit the crap out of that ball um (laughs) and uh no reaction from BC to, yeah, to piss rocket. Stone faced. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Luke Roskam's hitting well early on. Um, you know, I, I think Cam Chick is, is going to be important for him at the top of the lineup. So, like I said, I mean, they, they return most of their position players. I think there's a lot to be excited about, and I think they're going to be able to outscore some teams. The, the question mark is, you know, who are your three guys on the weekend? I think that's pretty fluid still. And you, you need to, to to kind of figure out roles for, for middle relief, too, because they've got a lot of guys to, to kind of sort through right now. All right. Well, we, uh, we will be back next week, uh, possibly with multiple podcasts, as we try to get your offseason to be even more exciting with that. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? No. I, I'm curious to I, – I, I was just sitting here thinking that uh, we need to find somebody to go back and see if there's footage of John nicely eating a pie and a young BC holding the tie. I think we could probably make that so? happen. Yeah. You think they have all the I Challenge Johns? I, I don't see why not. I, I, it's at the UNO. We, we could just reach out to John. I bet he's got them. Who? I bet John nicely has got them. Just, every, every just, episode? Yeah. The question is, can we recreate it? We could. We could simulate it. Yeah. Would he be willing to, to have another pie I mean, challenge? it's a specific deal. It was at the Sapfield house. So it, 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 So that's gone. What's that? It's still is there, it, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. So. They oh. just kind of fixed it up, I believe. Who uses it? 
Well, I think it's like the, isn't it probably they like play the... play high school tournaments there? Or is it like a student rec facility? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know anything. But I, I feel like... I know more about current UNO basketball than I do about previous UNO basketball. Gotcha. What, what year about was it? Oh, I would have... You'd have to go back to... I would feel like I was like six or seven. So it would have been like 87 or 88. Okay. I don't know. I'd have to look when he was a sportscaster. <laughs> I hope it does. I wasn't like 15. <laughs> no, I, I was I was definitely. 23-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely pretty young. Um, okay. And I was with my friends, the Cutlers. He would have been on uh, <laughs> Channel 7 at the time, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we can get we can get somebody on the case. <laughs> We're going to find this. You're very confident over there. Yep. All right. I don't have anything more to add. That was just that was my last contribution. Yeah. All right. Well, be sure to check out the website. We should have plenty of coverage of whatever's happening. Nebraska plays Michigan State. We didn't even talk about basketball at all on this podcast. They've lost 10 straight, Mike. All right. That's your basketball fact of the day.